0: I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that uh, I haven't touched in a long, long time. Uh, The first time I heard this story, I must have been about five years old, and uh, for a little boy, and this being Superhero Sunday, uh, the story of David and Goliath was spellbinding. I remember the uh, Sunday school teacher talked about how good David was with a sling. And he pointed to a wall in the room and he said, see that thumbtack over there? David could hit it with a slingshot. Oh, I thought, this indeed is a superhero. And back in those days, we had slingshots. We didn't have the kind David had, but we did have slingshots. That's the best uh, we could do in terms of arms. Uh, at tender ages, uh, it wasn't until about thirty years later, maybe a little less, I preached my one and only sermon from uh, Samuel, first Samuel the seventeenth chapter. And you might want to turn there because that's where we're going to uh, spend our time this morning. When I preached that sermon, however, Um, The emphasis was upon slaying the magnificent giant, and uh, to my way of thinking in those days, uh, the magnificent giant had to do with behaviors that are unbecoming to Christians. For instance, you might look at the list of vices in the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, where it talks about immorality and sexual perversion and It gets into great detail about our sensuality, but then it also touches our temperament, the way we think, uh, and the way we speak to one another, and it talks about anger, fits of anger and rage. It talks also about envy and strife and dissension, those things that are so harmful, uh, not only to our own souls, but to the people that we live with, and particularly... The church the people we uh, assemble together with and we uh, meet at church uh, those things creep in and then also I think it has to do with habits of life for it deals with drunkenness and orgies and such as that and uh, the apostle Paul says, these things should be named among you so my emphasis was up on the the works of the flesh well. By application today, our focus is not going to be on the works of the flesh, it's going to be on the flesh. And we're going to look at a profile here of a man who, in my opinion, uh, gives us some insights as to how to deal with the works of the flesh. So let me get there. You'll have to be patient with me. I, I don't have a lot of finesse, I find out here. (laughs) and i got to get it up here where I can see it. (laughs) That's very important for us today. And here are uh, some thoughts I want to uh, uh, present to you, and let me name them for you. When I look at the profile of this giant slayer, uh, he he would be known for his courage. He was a courageous man. Uh, He would be known for his confidence. He was a man of great confidence. Uh, A third thing he would be known for would be his cause. He had a cause to fight for, a cause to defend. Uh, And uh, then the final thing I would say about this man was that he was a man who conquered, who won battles. So as we work our way through the text, I want to just spend some time using uh, the story of David and Goliath as a metaphor for the spiritual battles that we fight in life. But mainly, I want us to identify who the giant really is. It's not about the works of the flesh. It's about the flesh itself. I attend a a Bible study on Tuesday night, and uh, somebody suggested uh, the last time we were together that we should have some T-shirts made up. On one side, we would have Adam. One, and on this side, Adam two. Now, let me explain that to you. The Apostle Paul wrote to us talking about the first Adam and the second Adam. Well, you know the first Adam. That's the Adam that was in the Garden of Eden. That was the Adam that rebelled against God. And through this one man's transgression, sin came to the whole human race. You didn't choose it, but you were born with it. You were born with Adam one. He lives right inside of you. The Bible calls that the flesh. He's not talking about your skin, uh, the meat on your body, but it's talking about an uh, inward condition, a nature that has come down through the ages to you from our first parent, Adam. But the Bible also talks about a second Adam. Adam, too, we'll call him. And we learn that that is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this life... We either live out of one source or the other. We live our lives out of the first Adam, and then all of those bad behaviors come out, and sometimes even good behaviors. But the good behaviors are not to glorify God. It's to make us look good. I remember as a kid in the church that I was saved, uh, the steps went something like this, it being a holiness church. The first thing was to confess Jesus as your Savior and be baptized. Now, we get that out of the way, all right? And back in those days, when I was a kid, almost everybody smoked cigarettes. So in a holiness church, you've got to get rid of the cigarettes. Uh, That's going to qualify you for God's kingdom in a better way. And then you certainly are going to get rid of the booze you don't drink because holiness Christians don't drink. Not only that, you women, you're going to have to alter your lifestyle because makeup is worldly and jewelry is worldly, and you should not be wearing those things. So you can see if we can get this person who has confessed Christ to smoke no more, to drink no more, to chase women no more, and if we can get the ladies to dress right, we've made fine Christians. But it doesn't do a thing for relationships. What it does, is it creates a bunch of judgmental people who are always looking for those that are the non-conformists. And we love to point those folks out. You see, it, deal, it was dealing with the works of the flesh, never with the flesh itself. So let's see how this unfolds in the text. Well, the setup is this way. As always, it was a kingdom, or kingdoms in conflict. In that setting, it was the Palestinians, the people in the land that the Israelites were to drive out, and they never really accomplished it. So there was always a remnant that had to be dealt with. And they would rise in power, and then it would wane. So it was up and down, up and down, and up and down. And so the battle lines are drawn. There's the forces of Israel on one side, and the forces of the Philistines on the other side. And out comes a giant. Here we meet the magnificent giant. He was from Gath, and Gath was known for its giants, a large race of people. This guy was, they believed to be, about nine feet tall. I don't know what he would weigh, but my guess, he might go about 300 or 400 pounds. He's a big guy. Not only that... The armor that he wore weighed 250 pounds. And the spear he had, the head on it, weighed 15 pounds. I mean, he is a big guy. And he would come out and challenge the armies of Israel. Send a man out here to fight me. Send somebody. Uh, uh, Whoever wins the battle, uh, we'll serve you if your guy wins, and you'll have to serve us if I win. Well, the king uh, in those days was Saul. And the Scripture says, he with all the men were, uh, were cowering, cowering. They were in fear of this giant, and there was no one that would accept the challenge. Well, the story goes that uh, a young man by the name of David, Saul will call him a youth, a boy. He comes to bring some provisions to his brothers who are there in the valley uh, 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 with the army of Israel. And uh, he brings from his father the sustenance that they would need uh, to be engaged in war. Uh, So as he comes, uh, he's curious. This giant comes out and uh, starts his railings, and he uh, drops his gear and he runs out to the field of battle to hear the voice of this guy and uh, so the rumor is uh, uh, out there that whoever defeats the giant, whoever will fight the giant if he should defeat him the king will give you his daughter and so that story is repeated over and over and uh, david says say what tell me that again so he meets up with his brothers and his brothers Say uh, you're just uh, you're just obnoxious kid. You're just here to create problems. So get in your place. And he said, "Well, what did what, what did I do? What did I do?" Well, the rumor gets around, and finally Saul hears about this, and so we'll pick it up in the text. It says, uh, "When uh, the word that David spoke, the words that David spoke were heard." This is verse uh, uh, 31. When the the words that David spoke were heard, uh, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this uh, Philistine. Uh, I want you to see here uh, his courage. Uh, You see how courageous he is? Everybody's fearful. Uh, The memorial service uh, yesterday uh, in Dallas, Oregon, was for one of my dearest friends, lifelong friends, Bill Libby. Bill and I met in Sunday school. We went to high school together. We went to Bible college together. We put roofs on together. We just uh, went into the ministry about the same time, and we have just been dear, dear friends for many, many years. And Bill, at one time in my life, really was a conscience. He was a few years older. He, 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 when I was a freshman, he was a senior in high school, and I was rowdy and liked to have fun and didn't have the boundaries I needed to have. And I remember uh, 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 something about Bill that has stuck with me a lifetime. And sometimes courage is undoing something that you've done that's wrong. We had a friend by the name of O'Dean, and Odeen also was a senior, and he had a car. And it was a beautiful January day. It was about 95 degrees. I lived in the city of Norwalk, which is only about 15 or 20 miles from the beach. And when it was hot, that's the place to go. So O'Dean said to my friend Skippy and myself, why don't you go with me? We'll ditch, and we'll go to the beach. And Bill said, well, I'll go along, too. So off to the beach, we went. So we spent the day there, came back home. And to get back in school, you had to fill out a, your parent had to fill out a a, a slip saying that we were out of school by their permission. Well, I went down to talk to the neighbor lady. She was really nice. I, I certainly didn't want my mom to know. So she filled out the slip for me. I turned that in. Everything's cool. Skippy found somebody. to fill one out for him, and everything's cool. Odin found somebody, filled it out, and everything's cool. Bill, Bill reported himself. (laughs) He was not in his right mind. He reported himself to the officials, and Bill got six hours of detention. Bill was courageous. He did the right thing. He undid something that was wrong, and As I uh, grew up with Bill, I saw him do that over and over. He had this incredible, incredible uh, sense of, of courage about him to stand for the right thing. I certainly see this in David. David's standing for the right thing. He's standing for God and his people. And I want to talk to you about being a courageous person, to stand for God and for the right things. But in order to do that, you're going to have to deal with the giant that's within. Now, let's move on down in the text. And and Saul said, this is verse uh, 33, to David, uh, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a, a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when uh, there there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he had arose against me, uh, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Yeah, wow, listen to that. He's defied the armies of the living God. Uh, You know, courage and confidence grow with time. Uh, When we come to Christ, uh, uh, there's still a lot to learn We don't really know God as deeply as we're going to know him when it's all over. And so we begin someplace. Now, David's courage began in uh, uh, the pastor, uh, in in the fields, tending sheep. And obstacles came his way, and he learned to overcome them. Courage and confidence are built over time. Uh, Ralph Lytle was a head taller than me, and I probably told you this story, but I have permission because I'm old, and old men tell old stories, so, so Ralph's about this much taller than me, Ralph's, uh, I think he's nine, I'm nine years old, and it cost a dime to ride the bus from Norwalk to Downey, Downey had the only swimming pool that was available uh, at the high school, and so, uh, we rode the bus over to the, the plunge, and we paid to get in. And Ralph said to me, I'm going to teach you how to swim today. And, of course, I'm, I'm all up for that. Well, how are we going to do this? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm taller than you are, so I'm going to get in the water up to my neck. And I'll be right beside you. You jump in. And he says, that. go down, and take a big breath of air, jump in, and then uh, come up and just move your arms make you know just start swimming and then when you run out of air I and mean, when you when you get tired go down and spring up from the bottom of the pool get another uh, gulp of air and then swim some more you know i went across the pool one time and i was swimming you know why i had confidence in ralph <laughs> see ralph was on my side you know that god is on your side And if God before you, who can be against you? You are talking about the ruler of the universe, the creator of all. God is on your side. David knew this, and he says, Who in the world is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should challenge the armies of God? And he says, Look, my life experiences taught me I can take on. I can take on these challenges. And I can can win because greater is he that's within. And we know that greater is he that is within than that one that's within the world. What was that saying? That God lives in us, and the devil is in the world, and God conquers the evil one every time. So, there was his confidence. So, I want you to look at the cause. Look at the cause. Verse uh, 41. And the Philistine, and now they're engaging, they're engaging, okay? And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So you see, it was a challenge between gods, wasn't it? You realize in the kingdom that we live, in the world that we live, there are kingdoms, two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the evil one. And the evil one is the the little G God of the little G gods. So he came to him in the name of his God, and and then David responded to him in the forty fourth verse. Uh, the Philistine said uh, to David, "Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields." Then David said to the Philistine. You come to me with sword and with spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Uh, Consider this, if you will, with me, that his cause is great. And what is his cause? His cause is the name of the Lord. Do you realize that in your life, uh, God's reputation is at stake? What the people know about God, what people know about Christ, is first observed in us who claim to be Christ's followers. Uh, When Jesus said, by this will men know that you you are my disciples, that you loved one another, Uh, that's what our community is about. When we love one another, there's something that's infectious about that. There's a magnetism to it. And people are drawn to a community where people genuinely love one another. And we know that kind of love can't be generated. Old Adam living in me doesn't generate that kind of love. Old Adam living in me just loves me. Old Adam living in me would like to use you to my benefit. That's just the way old Adam is. Same guy that lives in you. But there's a new Adam in you, and that new Adam cares about God, about the kingdom of God. It's our Savior, Jesus Christ. He came and gave himself as a ransom for us. And it's his spirit that lives within us. There was a cause. I think of my friend Daryl Latrell in our Thursday morning Bible study. He will often uh, uh, give reference to his days as a fireman. And he talks about the the uh, the people that respond to emergencies, the firemen and the police. And they're rushing in when others are rushing out. And if you think about it, that's what God has called us to do, is to rush in when others are rushing out. We want to rush into the fray for the souls of men and women. I talked to an old, old friend last night, and he said, Ron, I am so burdened, uh, I, I, I I can't sleep at nights. I care about my neighbors. He says, I don't want anybody to go to hell. And I was moved by his confession. Don's up in years. He's a bit feeble. But you know what he does? He stands out in his front yard on the sidewalk, and he's got a little desk there. And When people go by, he has little scriptures he hands out to them. That's what he does. Now, why does Don do that? Don's not trying to work his way into heaven. He just has a heart. He wants to rush in. He wants to rescue. Let me tell you about Doris Holland. Doris is a, a dear friend of long standing. Uh, she was the wife of the president of the Foursquare denomination, who was one of my closest friends. And John died with, all, uh, with uh, uh, Lou Gehrig disease a number of years ago. And Doris has spent the last 15 years of her life as a widow. It was. Uh, June of 2012, I was in Ronald Reagan uh, Medical Center uh, and had just gone through liver cancer surgery. And they opened me up, and uh, the tumor was so large on the right side of my liver that they couldn't remove it. I was not a candidate for a transplant because... A few years earlier, I had colon cancer, and uh, it had metastasized and came to my liver, and apparently they won't do a transplant when that is the case. So I remember, you know, when you're in intensive care, you're kind of in and out, you're all drugged up, and, uh, uh, you know, why anybody wants to be drugged up, I don't know, but uh, you just see weird stuff, okay, and it's tormenting, and... I, you know, I'm I'm really in despair. Uh, you, you, you just don't live with liver cancer because when they opened me up, it was so big, they couldn't remove it, so they sewed me back up. And I saw my family standing, uh, you know, and when you're in intensive care, you think the room is massive. It really isn't. <laughs> you're deluded. <laughs> but there's my family standing and some friends, they're talking, 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 and... Uh, I, I don't hear everything they're saying, but their body language uh, doesn't appear to be most hopeful for me. And Doris comes in, this lady that has served the Lord for all of these years alongside of her husband. She walked by everybody. She came to the side of my bed, and she placed her, her hand on my arm. And she patted me, and she said, Ronnie, God still has a lot for you to do. This isn't going to, you're not going to die of this. She said that. You know, when she said that, something sparked in me. I thought, well, I, I'll buy into this one and not that one. Okay. And, and it just sparked. Well, God did a marvelous thing. The doctor came through and he says, well, I, if, your situation is still hopeful. He says, I shut off the portal vein that feeds the right side of the liver. He says, that, that side's going to die and it's going to gorge the left side. Two months later, they opened me up, did surgery again, and here I am. But the courage of that lady not to get into the, negative, the negativity of, of the doomsdayers, and that's where I was. I was with them. She came and she spoke life to me. Now, how, how, why did she do that? She loved God. She cared about me. So, uh, what's your cause? What's your cause? Is your cause greater than yourself? Is your cause the kingdom of God? Is your cause uh, men and women who don't know Jesus Christ? Think about that. What's your cause? Now, let me talk finally just a little bit about his conquest. Uh, I'll just kind of tell you from memory what happens. Uh, anyway, they draw They draw near. The battle's engaged, and uh, uh, the conflict begins. David does something that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but maybe it does. He went to a stream. He has his shepherd bag. He picks out five stones. It's only going to take one. Puts them in the shepherd bag. He's got his sling. He's got his staff, and he goes out to challenge the giant. The giant comes out with all of his weaponry. He, he's uh, trusting and his weapons, he's trusting in his little G God. David is trusting in his weapon, but also in his big G God. Now, there's a scene that's rather amusing to me, and you, and I, you may or may not have seen this, but uh, uh, remember Harrison Ford played Indiana Jones? And there's a scene where the swordsman comes out, and, and you know, he's got black uh, clothing on, and he's whipping the Sword around like this, and and uh, Harrison Ford looks at him. Indiana Jones looks at him, and then he reaches in his belt and he pulls out a pistol and he shoots him. I got to thinking about that. Who was better armed? It was David. He had velocity. He had a bullet in his sling but he was really good with it because he had practiced and practiced and practiced. I want you to think about the weapons of your warfare. The Bible teaches that they're mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. Now, where is the stronghold? The stronghold is Adam that lives in you. Paul says, "Uh, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, the life I live... I live by faith in the Son of God. Jesus said, "Uh, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross, and you have to follow me. What does that mean? You've got to kill Adam one that lives in you. And that, you know, I, I liken it to a zombie. You know, the zombie things that are popular. You can't kill zombies. You kill them, but they keep coming back. The old nature is like weeds, Weeds in your garden. You poison them, you hold them, but somehow they keep coming back. But you've got to deal with the weeds, and you've got to deal with the zombie that lives in you, and that's your old nature. You can't make that old nature pleasing to God. Scripture says, uh, in your flesh, you cannot please God. You can't do that. You can look religious, you can look like a really good person, but in the end the real fruit will come out, and you'll be like the Pharisees that are in the New Testament, the very people that put to death the Son of God. You've got to deal with old Adam in you. And so here's my instruction today, if you'll allow me. Every day you arise, recognize that you are indwelled by God Himself. Christ is in you, and you are in Him. You're fully equipped to deal with all of those temperament issues, you're fully equipped to deal with all those issues of immorality. You're, you're fully equipped to deal with, uh, with uh, you know, negative attitudes and anxiety and all of that stuff. You are capacitated because Christ lives in you. So let me leave that with you today. Recognize who you are in Christ. Do it day by day, and if you're anything like me, about every 15 minutes— I remind the accuser of my soul and the one who would uh, would draw me into his snare, Satan, I resist you in the name of Jesus. And guess what happens? He flees from me. So let me encourage you to do that. Now, let me pray for you, if you will. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for our friends today that we could gather here in your name. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I just speak the words of comfort, words of conviction. Show us, Lord, where uh, we are relying upon our own strength to serve you. Help us to identify the negative works the, uh, uh, of the flesh that are manifest in us. And Lord, help us to fight the good battle, fight the good fight of faith. Uh, 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 reckoning ourselves dead and alive to you and help us lord to reach out to those who don't yet know you and bring them the good news that jesus saves i pray in christ's name amen